0: Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator, and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of DEI After Five. So for many people, when you talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, they're focused on race or gender or sexual orientation. And those things are so important. But one of the communities that is often left out of the conversation is the disability community. And if you have watched the show or listened to this uh, show for any time, you know that disability is something that I always wanna highlight because it is often overlooked. And so today my guest is Dr. Mary, Dr. MJ McConnor. She and I are gonna have a great conversation about this around disability and some of the things that organizations can do to make sure that it stays on the forefront. Dr. MJ, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be
1: here today. Thank
0: Yay! You. I'm so excited to have you. So for folks that may not know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, your background? Like, how did you get into this work?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I am a diversity, equity and inclusion consultant. And so I've been in the DEI space actually for over 14 years. And I worked in higher education prior to becoming a full time consultant. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting because I actually started in the international education sector in higher ed and then kind of moved over into DEI work. Um, And then as I continue to progress throughout the workforce, uh, I just noticed over time, I was like, we, we overlook disability inclusion quite a bit. Like we don't have enough conversations about disabilities. And so that's why I just became really passionate about it because I recognized that it was an area that it needs more focus and we have to have more conversations about it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's so funny because, um, I started in higher education as well too. It's like So many of us come from higher education into this space and to this work. Um, and it's interesting because when I first started doing this work and I, I worked in the Office of Multicultural Affairs um, as an undergraduate, and that was probably one of the first times where I was very cognizant of disability as a part of the conversation or not being a part of the conversation. Right. At that time, it was really put into, okay. well, that's the accessibility office. Right. Right. That's where that conversation takes place. Um, But it's not just an yes, accessibility is a part of it, but that's not part of the inclusion aspect of this. So can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, why why was this such an important uh, topic for you to tackle?
1: Yes. So I will tell you, it's it's part personal for me as well. So Mm. me being in the workforce and me being in in education and recognizing that it's overlooked was one thing, but also I am dyslexic and I am a member of the hard of hearing community. So I can only hear in one ear and all my life, I remember, you know, Having conversations about, OK, well, if you if there's a way you can conceal that you're dyslexic, maybe don't share mm-hmm. that. They make it harder for you as you go into the workforce. Um, and even that, like when I look back at those conversations, I'm like, no one should be made to feel like they can't be. Yeah, and you have to hide it course, or have to hide it. Right. So just, you know, from the very beginning, I always had this, this lens of, okay, how do we create accessible spaces for people just because of what I had to experience personally as well. So Mm -hmm. that's, it's, it's a very deep personal connection to it. And then, uh, you know, it's just something that I think, like I said, that we have to have more conversations around and just creating more awareness so we can do better uh, in terms of accessibility.
0: Absolutely. You know, I've had some other guests on the show talking about disability and what organizations can do. And one of the challenges that's come up several times has been, you know, organizations thinking about physical disability, thinking about putting ramps in, thinking about, and not that they should not have those conversations, but when you look at the statistics, a majority of people that are part of the disability community have invisible disabilities. Correct. And so what are we missing out on when we don't have these conversations?
1: Yes. And I'm so glad you brought that up because there are certain numbers out there that suspect like, oh, this number of the population may have invisible disabilities. But the truth is that number is probably actually much higher, right? Yes. Because well, yeah. it's, underreported because of the stigma that goes along with it oftentimes. So I think one of the biggest things that workplaces can do is start by creating a space where you're having those conversations and helping to dismantle and break the stigmas. Because like like I said, for a long time, I went throughout my career like, okay, if I can hide this, if there's a way I can keep this to myself without my employer knowing, or maybe only the HR department knowing, then I'll be good. And a lot Mm of have that uh, mentality as well, because they know, like, there is a chance that I may have certain, uh, you know, I may experience certain biases because of it. But when we actively work to make sure that we're having those conversations, and we're creating spaces that are truly inclusive and equitable, then then that's a good start. Like, you have to start, though, by recognizing that it's a problem. Yeah. So look, I want to back
0: up a minute, okay. because... I don't know if a lot of people even realize or understand what invisible disabilities are. Yes. Right. So can you kind of provide us with a framework or an understanding of what are invis- invisible disabilities?
1: Yes. So invisible disabilities are disabilities that are non-apparent. So for example, I talked about being hard appearing. That is something that you will not know unless you know, we have a conversation about it, and I disclose that to you. Same thing with dyslexia. Um, so most people who have a disability, like you mentioned, it's going to be non-apparent. It's not something that you can see immediately, because a lot of times when we think of disability, we think of physical disabilities. Mm-hmm. We think, that, oh, this person's in a wheelchair, or they may need uh, a ramp. Uh, But we don't always think about, oh, this individual has identified as neurodiverse. So how do we we create a a welcoming space for that individual, right? Because we automatically think of physical accommodations and creating accessible work environments in terms of the physical space. We have to think about uh, other ways to create accessible spaces as well.
0: I'm taking a pause because my my wheels are turning in my my head right now. Um, And and it's it's turning because we're seeing so many conversations, at least I'm seeing a lot of conversations right now around neurodiversity and this push and call for um, having more conversations around neurodiversity, particularly in the workplace. I want to partner that with... Many adults um, of a certain, and I'll, I'll say probably adults in their 40s and older um, have never been diagnosed or very few have been diagnosed um, with having some type of neurodivergent um, disability. Yes. And so I'm trying to think through, you know, like so many people have struggled in the workplace, and yes, we need to talk about it. but if there's someone that has never been diagnosed, but people are seeing some of the the symptoms, or they're seeing some of the challenges. You know, how do you even merge those worlds or those conversations together?
1: <laughs> you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because um, that is something you have to take into account, right? When you think about multi generational diversity, for example, you think about Gen Zers and what might be acceptable for our Generation Z. Uh, it might not be something that maybe baby boomers or Gen Xers or even millennials have conversed about. Right. Uh, as I said, I came from the education space. I would hear my students like, oh yeah, you know, I'm on the spectrum. So that's why it takes me, <laughs> Right. they would be so open about it. Whereas yeah. you know, some of the members of older generations, maybe they didn't have those conversations and maybe they just didn't have the same level of awareness and access to do formal assessments, like you said. Um, so yeah. that is something we do have to recognize I remember someone once reached out to me and she said, MJ, I need your help because we have a a colleague who's really difficult to work with. And a lot Mm -hmm. of us suspect that he could be on the spectrum, but we don't know for sure. He's never identified as being Mm -hmm. on the spectrum, being autistic. How do we handle this? Right. And that is, that's a reality for a lot of employers and a lot of people, um, you know, in different organizations, you're not going to always, no, because that person may not know themselves. They may have never mm-hmm. been formally diagnosed, but you still have to operate with an inclusion lens. And and you want to be careful, too, because you don't want to diagnose a person without, you know, you right. especially if you're not a licensed professional. Um, but it's still important to kind of have that awareness like, OK, I see that my colleague, he works better when we do this, when we have really clear directions. So let's make sure we're giving him real clear directions. Don't use a lot of slang and idioms, you know, and, and that's just one example. So it's important for us to kind of have that lens and say. All right, we recognize that the person may or may not have been diagnosed, but we still have to be inclusive in how we engage.
0: Absolutely, I mean, we all learn in different ways. And so just being mindful of that, how we take in information, how we Mm -hmm. um, interact with the world around us is all very different. And so, you know, when I think of earlier in my career, when folks would say, oh, that person's just odd, you know, like they would just kind of dismiss it versus, okay, they learn in a different way, or we, they communicate in a different way. So how can we make sure that they're getting the information that they need in a way that is meaningful to them, right? So it was much. how do you become much more accommodating in that? Um, and it's funny because I have two um, friends that are part of the DEI world, both within the last year have been diagnosed. I mean, they're again, 30s, 40s, you know, being diagnosed within the last two years of being either ADHD or um, being on the autism spectrum of some sort. And so that's even jarring, right? To, to go through your life, your adult life, knowing, okay, I just do things my own way. And then now saying, oh, okay, there's
1: a name for this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Go. It's okay if I respond to that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, as you were talking about that, you're absolutely right. And I have heard time and time again, so many people say, yeah, I didn't get diagnosed until just last year. And they might be in their 30s, 40s, sometimes even 50s. But what but what I'll tell you what I've seen, too, is that for a lot of people, it has been like oh it all makes sense eye opening yes it has been this eye opening experience and that's why i always say like if you do suspect that you might be adhd or you you know you may have some form of neurodivergence then get tested even even mm-hmm. if you've gone through your entire life and you've never been formally tested it's never too late because it it does bring a certain level of clarity as to why maybe you process things differently or you mm-hmm. prefer to work differently so yes
0: So that brings two questions to me. One (laughs) is, you know, what resources or do you know, you know, resources that people can tap into if they are, if they suspect, you know, that they may be um, on the spectrum or or have some type of neurodivergent background?
1: Yeah. And so there's different resources out there and there are actually uh, specific organizations that Um, advocate for neurodiversity in the workplace. And then they have like various places where you can get tested. Um, And so I don't, I don't have like the different places where you can, but there are organizations out there um, and there's multiple organizations. Um, One of the things too, let's say you, uh, if you're a student in higher education, of course you have the accommodations office. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you work, if you, if you have not talked to like your human resources department about and if you feel comfortable saying, you know, are there resources out there? You know, or is there something out there where I could potentially talk to someone and learn more about neurodiversity? They may have connections as well. Cause I know more and more human resources departments are recognized and like, okay, this is something that we have to be mindful of, especially as you know, our, our workforce becomes more and more diverse, is that we're providing with different resources where they can learn about different forms of neurodiversity and disability inclusion as well. So that was actually gonna be my second question. You okay. know, is this, are we at a place
0: um, where organizations are noticing that they need to have these resources, right? Where they need to have this support. Um, and, and I say that from that standpoint, but then also we've, we're now in this post-pandemic kind of work yeah. place where organizations are realizing they have to play a very different role in their employees' lives. And so it just kind of came to me that if we're not having these conversations in the workplace, is it because the organizations aren't thinking about it or that you know do they even have the resources and tools that they need in, in order to support these conversations and ensuring that um, individuals that have not been diagnosed yet know, mm-hmm. okay, here's some options or some um, things that may be helpful to you. So I'm, I'm thinking out loud right now, <laughs> right now, but yeah. that, you know, I, it's, it's part of this evolution of the world of work that
1: yes. we're starting to see. Um, go ahead. Yeah. You know what? I will say it's kind of a range. It like just, mm-hmm. it depends on the industry. Cause it's like, for example, we'll use okay. tech as an example in tech. I know has had a lot of issues with some layoffs and everything recently, but because a lot of times you see people with different forms of neurodivergence are drawn more to certain fields. You'll see higher rates of neurodiverse folks yeah. within those industries, right? So, for example, tech, STEM, yeah. um, and not to do a sweeping generalization. I mean, we have people in every sector, um, but there's some industries where you, it's more prevalent. Yeah. And so those employers are more likely to understand it. And they're like, oh, okay, we understand that Bill may prefer to work this way. He tends to do better when we're very, very specific, you know? So, and that's why I say it depends on the industry and some organizations really have made great strides around it. And I think yeah. there are a lot more organizations out there now that are at least starting to have conversations about it that maybe they didn't have conversations before because they just didn't know what it was, right? There was yeah. not a, a formal name for it the way it is now. Um, so so I feel like it's getting better, but there there's still a lot of work to be done. You know, and I I agree. I absolutely
0: agree. You know, and having spent ten years in the tech industry, yeah. um, I, I there were quite a few folks that I I knew they were yes. on the spectrum. Yes. Uh, they may not have known it, but <laughs> yeah, I I, I kind of figured it out. Um, but I also think that there could be so much more, you know, that, that can be done and understanding. And again, not just picking on tech across all industries, right. More, you know, awareness is so important, but it's not just the awareness, it's the action, right? Yes. Let's make sure that people are aware and they know what's happening, but then the action that we're taking as an organization to support this, Mm -hmm. are we providing the resources? Are we providing the support? Are we providing opportunity? Like, discounts on testing cuz testing is not cheap it's not cheap no <laughs> so you know are we providing those discounts is that part or is part is that part of EAP you mm-hmm. know is it part of any other programming that we're having is that part of the wellness in the workplace program so you know those are the types of things that I think about when i think okay what are we truly doing to make organizations more inclusive and trying to include disability
1: as a part of that conversation. Yeah. And what I'll say too, and I love that you touched on like the EAP part and testing. Additionally, some other ways to make workplaces more neuro-inclusive um, is thinking about even something as simple as, is our interview process inclusive? Mm. We ask certain questions or when we ask people to give examples, You know, is this is this easy for folks to understand? Because some people, you know, they may have anxiety. They may have different Mm -hmm. things, you know. And so it's it's really important to use an equity lens on various aspects because it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, you know, we got to standardize everything. Let's do just a standard interview. But you can be excluding some really great candidates if you don't think about how you go about it. The way you hold meetings is important and just so many different areas. Um,
0: Yeah. When you said that, it, it brings up, I have this, I do a workshop on um, inclusion mm-hmm. and it's, it's a cartoon that has, okay, the test is I want you to climb this tree, but it's like a monkey, a, a bird, a fish in a bowl. <laughs> like it's all of these animals <laughs> and the test is to climb the tree. And yes. I'm like, okay, is it a test really to climb the tree or is it to get to the top of the tree? Like, what are you, what are you testing for? Right. right. And so you, you can't give everyone the same test if they have different abilities Exactly, um, and, and some will naturally excel and others just won't be able to excel at all. Like the fish in the bowl. Like, really?
1: Well, that's exactly right. Exactly. So,
0: right. Yeah. That that's what immediately came to mind when you when you said that, you know, so, Dr. Mary, what are some things that you um, recommend that organizations kind of start to think about or do? Sorry, I'm gonna step back, Doctor MJ, because we're gonna get- <laughs> high school. <laughs> I know your brand. i like, we're gonna get your branding right here, um, <laughs> Doctor MJ. What are some things that organizations can do to start this conversation, or at least start thinking about what pieces do they need to have in place to begin to support um, these invisible
1: disabilities? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I would say one of the first things is if you do have uh, a DEI department within your organization, or let's say, you know, equity and inclusion work falls within HR or some area within your unit, I I would think is that it's really important for um, for us to at least say, okay, look, we recognize that this is something that our organization needs to prioritize. What kind of opportunities can we provide our... um, team members within the organization in terms of learning and development, because awareness is always going to be key. Like you have to start with, do people even know what neurodiversity is? Mm -hmm. Do people even understand what it means to be uh, inclusive in terms of disability inclusion? So definitely, I I think that's key is starting there. And then from there, you can start kind of assessing like you can do an equity audit and say, okay, let's have somebody come in and look at our organization and, and, and really go through our policies and protocols and practices to see are we truly being inclusive? Um, it's like I said, there are certain things people don't even recognize because it's so normalized. Like, oh, I didn't recognize I wasn't being inclusive to folks with disabilities, or I didn't recognize that I wasn't being neuro-inclusive, uh, you know, when I did this in meetings. Um, So that's why I think it's really important to have assessments as well. And it's really important to have somebody who um, who understands how to do those assessments properly and equity audits properly. So that way they can give you some feedback on what you can change within the organization to become more inclusive. When you were talking just now,
0: what clicked in my head is (laughs) it's really about next level accountability in these spaces, because there's so many organizations that focus on what are we doing to be compliant, right? ADA compliant, which focuses much more on the physical disability side of things than the invisible side of things. And so that next level is, okay, we've gotten the physical things taken care of. What are the other aspects of, um, Disability that we need to consider, and what are we going to do to fix, change, you know, shift so that everyone can be a part of this uh, discussion or, or conversation? And so it really is going beyond just checking the box. Yes, it's that next level of, of work and analysis. Yeah. So, Dr. MJ, yes, this work ain't easy. It ain't easy. <laughs> that ain't easy. Yeah. What do you do
1: to fill your cup? Like, what do you do to take care of yourself? So I'll tell you what I love to do. I love to lay outside. I have a pool well, we have a pool. Okay. In the evening. <laughs> um, but even if it's not by the pool, even if it's in the park or just enjoying nature, it's something about being outdoors. Um, where I can just, I just feel like, okay, I can reconnect, I can journal, I can meditate, I can be at peace. Uh, Because like you said, it's important for us to be able to stop, especially doing this work um, and just reflect and have that time for ourselves to fill our cup. I like that. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. If I could be, I'm trying to figure out how to put my office outside. (laughs) <laughs> we still saying, have Wi-Fi and all of the things, right? And control the weather. Like, okay, do not rain. I need you to yeah, stay. Yeah. It's just, it's just <laughs> the total side note. Cause I saw someone they did a
0: um a greenhouse office, and I was like, oh that's clever. <laughs> I like it. I like that. Yeah. I just gotta figure out how to do it and not burn up in the summertime.
1: Yeah, but I was thinking, I was like, might get hot in there though without like some kind of ventilation AC something. <laughs> I figure it, I'm
0: gonna figure it out I'm gonna figure that out but I, I'm with you it's just something about connecting to nature and I love water so I'm, I'm feeling you there. Yes absolutely. absolutely. But Dr. MJ thank you for joining us if people wanted to follow up and get to learn more about the work that you do how can they do that?
1: Yes um, so it's a few ways they can do it so my website is i.e. consultingfirm.com. And also I'm really active on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is like my jam. So I, you know, Facebook, Instagram are cool, but my favorite is LinkedIn. I'm posting everyday articles and, you know, different things on there. So feel free to follow us on LinkedIn. Um, It's my first and last name, Mary McConner. And then you can look up the company name, Inclusive Excellence Consulting, and follow us, the company on LinkedIn as well. So yeah, and then we are on Instagram. We do uh, posts. We do like our DEI Mindset Monday posts along with some other things. So that's Inclusive Excellence Consulting Monday, Instagram as well.
0: Wonderful. And do you have anything else that's happening or going on that we need to know about? You know what?
1: This, this has been a <laughs> year, you know, like it's a lot happening in, in the DEI space uh, <laughs> throughout the nation. But I will say this is that what this has kind of shown is that there are people out there like we don't care what's going on. We still want to do this work. And so for me as a consultant, that has been reassuring, like, OK, there are people who are still like we still want to do this and we Absolutely. still just become more equitable and inclusive. So that's this has been good. I think I think we're we're in an interesting time, but there's still a lot of people who are committed to the work absolutely
0: absolutely well thank you so much dr mj for being with us today i'm sure that everyone has kind of taken away a few nuggets um, that they may not have considered as they're doing their dei work so thank you thank you and thank you all for watching and listening and being a part of this episode of dei after five as always you can find us here every tuesday at 5 15 p.m eastern on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. And until next time, have a good one.